Today is the second sermon in a series that we've called Fixed and Free. And what we are talking about in this series is, is basically a struggle that um, our denomination's having, and we want to put some um, uh, understanding to that struggle. We don't want our congregation to be oblivious to a larger uh, issue related to our denomination. But I want to say first that the Judeo-Christian tradition for thousands of years has struggled with issues related to unity. And the church, in the midst of that, much of our Bible is centered on matters, pastoral letters, and other matters that have to do with unity. And therefore, we should not be surprised that the United Methodist Church as a mainline denomination has for our 234 years of existence been also struggling with relation to unity. You know, 2018 will be a year uh, of ongoing debate for United Methodists. There's been a group formed by the bishops at the last general conference called A Way Forward who are trying to create a way forward. And the, the bishops are hearing their report. And the bishops will, um, will weigh in on that report. And there will be a conference next year that will basically vote on our way forward. And of course we know that the main source of the debate has to do with human sexuality, namely compatibility, sexuality that's compatible with Christian theology or teaching, the sanctity of marriage, and the right of ordination. Now let me say that I've been your pastor for more than 20 years, and I've observed something about you. You do not all think alike. <laughs> you do not all agree theologically or politically, I can assure you. And there are many of you who, um, who do love this church and who love the direction of this church. You love our mission. You love our, our global uh, work. You love our local work. You love what it feels like to be here. Many of you have loved this church and been a part of this church for 50 plus years. Others of us are newcomers. But all of us are saying, why do we have to talk about divisions? We, we get along here. Well, we do for the most part. And for the most part, I think we've navigated the waters of diversity quite well. We're not activists here. We do radically accept people into this church. Uh, we are also evangelical bent, though not all of us would be of an evangelical theological mindset. And I'm not talking about politics evangelicals. That's a completely different thing. I'm talking about a church that would do a remembrance of baptism for Ashley and call all of us to that remembrance and relationship with Jesus Christ, that kind of evangelical. And we do not break the covenant or go against the book of discipline here. But we do hear those who say some of the words hurt. And therefore, the debate continues. You know, last week we started this series, Fixed and Free, and I was sitting out there where you are sitting and, and, and uh, listened to a very good sermon from Scott Gilliland as he lifted up what it means uh, theologically, this underpinning of fixed and free. Uh, he talked about the tabernacle and the, um, the, the freedom of God that moves us in a journey and on experiences and is always there. He talked about the fixed nature of the temple and how um, you know, we are drawn to that place where God is found and we're drawn to come back to that place when we've gone astray. All of that is true. He used an illustration of a guitar 
and the pain of playing steel guitar strings that everyone who's ever started to play a guitar, you might have ended very soon after you started because your fingers ached, maybe even bled. Because on those uh, guitar strings, the tips of your fingers that mash that string down with the tension can cause some pain until you build up the calluses that allow you to play without pain and make you actually cause that sound to be clearer. And Scott was making the point as a denomination that it's in the midst of that tension that we can have beautiful music come forth. I can assure you too that that tension can produce some discord too. But one of the things I want to point to in beginning my sermon this morning is that Scott held up a guitar-looking instrument, but it was not a guitar. It was a ukulele. And everybody knows that a ukulele does not have steel strings, right? A ukulele does not hurt your fingers when you play it, right? And you can only take so much ukulele music in one sitting, right? But when I think of the ukulele and ukulele music, I think of Tiny Tim and tiptoe through the tulips. How many of you think of Tiny Tim? In case you're not thinking of Tiny Tim, I'd like to remind you of Tiny Tim and the ukulele. concern as a pastor in the United Methodist Church is that the church will choose to divide into as a way of escaping the tension four ukuleles and my concern is if it happens that the church decides to become ukuleleish in nature then we will lose our attempt at transforming the world for Jesus Christ. Because the world can only listen so long to ukuleles. Now this is almost too simplistic. But right now the United Methodist Church can be categorized four ways. The first way is justice. There are those right now that see the matters that we're dealing with as issues of justice and that things have to change in our book of discipline. And if they don't change, and if we don't see these issues as, 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 as justice issues, then they're out of here. 
And there are those who see the matters that we confront today as matters of covenant. And that we meet every four years and we decide in a democratic process what we believe and we put it in a book called the Book of Discipline and we debate it in another four years. But for that four years, that's the article of our covenant. And that local churches shouldn't have the right to decide on their own and local uh, annual conferences shouldn't be allowed to decide on their own. It's the covenant that matters. And if people break the covenant and if we continue to let people break the covenant, we're out of here. And then there are those who uplift the importance of unity. Maybe naively, I might add, that we have existed for many years with our differences, that there are some liberal United Methodist Church, some conservative United Methodist Churches, and everything in the middle, and we don't all agree, we never have all agreed, but we tend to get along in the midst of the tension. And if we upset that, we're going to lose something. And then there's the ukulele that I dare say may be the loudest one of all. It's the one I call whatever. Because there are a lot of United Methodists who are in congregations that they really do love, in missions that they really want to be about, who really don't care very much about what's going on at the larger general church level and they don't like the divisiveness and the voting and the politics of all of that and they just rather play like it's not happening. You know, you know, I want to read this morning two passages of Scripture, one from the temple perspective, one from the tabernacle perspective, and I want to remind us again these scenes about Jesus, that both aspects of theology exist within our larger body. Will you turn with me now to Luke, the fourth chapter, and let's read this scene in the life of of Jesus beginning with the 14th verse of the fourth chapter. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and report about him spread throughout all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him. And were amazed at his gracious words that came from his mouth. Everything's pretty good right now, right? They said, it is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. 
and you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that you have heard, that we have heard you did at Capernaum. In other words, Jesus, do those healing miracles. Do all of the great things you've done in other towns. Do it right here in your hometown with the hometown crowd. And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to the widow of Zarephath in Sidon. And there was also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. I pray that doesn't happen this morning. And they got up and they drove him out of town and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. And now turn to John, Luke and John. The first chapter, one verse. Jesus the tabernacler. And the word became flesh and lived or tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of his father, his father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What grieves me over our divides is that it diverts us from our mission. Our mission as the United Methodist Church is making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our mission here at Lover's Lane, loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, we live in a divided world with accusations running rampant and offensive words spouted out much too freely. And we must not be transformed by the world into what's perceived to be haters. We must not be transformed by the world into those who really long for divide or who live with these divisions of us and them so prevalent. We're the church. We are called to be followers of Jesus Christ who sent us forward in a different way with love and grace and peace at the forefront of our faith. Now this sermon series is not meant to persuade you um, or to inform you to join a particular group we got all kinds of groups. Nor is it meant to say that those who are of a temple persuasion or those who are of a tabernacle persuasion are right or wrong. 
I am working in a movement right now called Uniting Methodists, and we are struggling with the whys and the hows of being united as United Methodists. I'm committed to unity within the church, but not for unity's sake, and not some sort of, of milk toast or fake unity. The unity that I hope for is a unity that recognizes the tension that we live in and that is not all bad. The unity that I long for is a a unity that makes a loud proclamation to the world that you can have differences of opinion and still be of the same body. You can believe this way theologically or politically or this way theologically or politically and it doesn't mean that we have to be separated for the body of Christ brings us together through and in the midst of our diversity. We've had very liberal churches through the years and very conservative churches through the years and everything in the middle. You know, people laugh and they say, that's Methodist. What one of the churches that might do things differently left or right than I would do or than we would do does not really impact our local mission. Unless, of course, what is done by Sister Brother United Methodist Church is immoral or unethical or anti-Bible or against the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therein lies the rub for their differing opinions about what is moral and what is ethical and what is Bible and what is grace and truth. I dare say that we're going to start today with the foundation of all of what we should embrace. Not just as United Methodists, but Christians. We find or should find our unity in the truth, in the grace of Jesus that we have witness to in this word. And the Holy Spirit draws his spirit to our understanding. Now I realize, even within the United Methodist Church, that we don't all agree on Jesus. In fact, every United Methodist Church that I've ever served uh, has had a don't say Jesus Sunday school class or a Jesus light Sunday school class. I kid you not. And, And that's been all right. We hadn't run those classes out of the church. Now, it didn't change my preaching either, so they might not want to come to church and might want to just stay in Sunday school if they don't want to hear the name of Jesus. I remember losing a member here at Lover's Lane early on in my ministry. I was somewhat shocked, but not completely. And she came to me because she was very upset that we say the Apostles' Creed. She didn't like that stuff about Jesus being crucified. or dead and buried and the third day didn't believe that stuff didn't want to say it didn't think we as a church should say it she's no longer here there are some who may have seen the creed that we read today and may have said it didn't say enough about the cross 
If you'll turn to about 880 in your hymnal, then you'll see about 12 or 15 different creeds. And we're going to read a different one every week because there, there's some like the World Methodist Conference Creed on social affirmation that leans more toward justice. There are others that lean more toward covenant. And all of these creeds are some that are based on Romans 8, one based on Timothy. And, and these creeds all uplift the diversity of our church. We're not a church of one creed. We're a church that believes the essence of the creeds that we have in our hymnal or book of worship. So the question I ask, is there enough to keep us together in our mutually held beliefs about Jesus and the mission of making disciples of Jesus? Now, I want to share a testimony with you this morning. I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and my Savior too. I believe that Jesus did for me what I cannot do for myself. And the gift that I believe Jesus gave me was the gift of being fully divine and saying loudly and clearly, you are forgiven by God through me and the cross and all that that cross is about. I see Jesus as my Savior. And I see Jesus as my Lord. One who I will follow because my Lord is a Lord who was fully human. Who took on flesh just like yours and mine. But not only flesh but took on the human experience. Knew the same joys and knew the same frustrations and knew the same wonderment and the same agony. Even experienced death like you and I will experience death. And he rose from the grave. So if all of that is true about Jesus' experience then I believe I too will one day live apart from the grave in eternity. He's fully human. And this is the essence of our orthodox faith, that we believe in a God in Jesus Christ, a triune God, and in Jesus, one who is fully God and fully human, who's done for us what we can't do for ourselves, and because he was human, we can follow him in the way we love God and love others. I trust Jesus who is fixed in a covenant relationship and free to extend that covenant relationship to all people. Now I want to share a word with you right now. Because I believe the church is constantly in danger of bowing at altars that are unworthy of our worship. We bow too often at the altar of being politically correct or not wanting to offend anyone by bringing up Jesus or inviting others to come to him. You know, Billy Abraham, Dr. Billy Abraham is a professor at Perkins School of Theology. He's been there as long as I've been here. He's a great professor. He wrote in a chapter a chapter in a book that the book was entitled The Community of the Word, but the chapter that he wrote that I was impressed with years ago, still am impressed with today, is called Inclusivism, Idolatry, and the Survival of the Fittest Faithful. And that 
chapter begins with a reflection on a t-shirt that he saw. And on that t-shirt were written the words, Embracing diversity is embracing God. That sounds pretty good. Embracing diversity is embracing God. And yet, Dr. Abraham said, we need to be careful because we're on the edge of idolatry. If we see that as truth. He goes on to say, so much good has been done through an inclusion agenda. We all stand in unity on the point that the church must be rid of racism and patriarchy. You know, we celebrate Martin Luther King's legacy this weekend. The church needs to be rid of those things that that he worked so hard against. The question is, have we reached a point that the means in pursuit of the ultimate ends in diversity and inclusion has become what we worship. He then goes on to say, inclusion arose as a legitimate effort to implement a glorious vision of equality that is embedded in the gospel. We can be grateful for those theologians, liberal and liberationist and otherwise, who drove home the inclusivist agenda. It is now time to get to the news behind the news and work for a change of speech and subject. It was Christ's cross and resurrection that won the victory over exclusion. It is the same cross and resurrection that will heal us of corruption and idolatry carried out under the banner of inclusion. In in other words, what Dr. Abraham is saying is that if we think inclusion and diversity is our big idea, we need to realize that that big idea was God's big idea on the cross and that God in Christ created an inclusive world where exclusion is completely wiped out by him. What I think we need to realize this morning that we are called to uplift Jesus Christ who who died on a cross and at that cross the ground is level for all people to see ourselves in the same boat of those separated from God and yet in Christ one with God atoned. He gave us the church to transform the world not to bow our knees before other altars. Let us not worship inclusivity and diversity or justice or covenant or even unity or be tricked into bowing at the altar of divisiveness and exclusion. Let us passionately embrace the God who stands for the good 
behind all that is godly in inclusivity, in diversity, in justice, in covenant, in unity. And realize that the God before whom we bow is a God who is never for division and exclusion. You know, I've shared this story with you several times. But I can't help but remember my mentor who was so very committed to Jesus. And where he got his passion. Bill Henson said that when he was at Emory University, at Candler Seminary, working on his Th.D., that his beloved bishop, Bishop Arthur Moore, had a house right across the street from the seminary. He said Bishop Moore had had a stroke, and so he wasn't very mobile, but he'd sit on the front porch and he would rock there as students would come by. He said, you need to know about Bishop Moore. He was more than popular. He was beloved. And people in South Georgia referred to Bishop Moore as King Arthur. Arthur Moore was a saint. But Bill said those young seminarians would come across the street and they'd sit on his porch and Bishop Moore would ask them questions about their seminary experience and they'd talk about what they'd learned about the church and about God. They'd talk about what they learned in preaching class and what they'd learned about worship and church administration and they just went on and on and on and, and, and he'd listen and he'd comment and they'd laugh and they'd enjoy and Bill said, before any student ever left the porch, Bishop Moore would say, you know all of that is good learning. Great teaching, no doubt. But before you graduate from seminary, you need to be very sure of one thing. You need to be very sure about Jesus. Friends, we as a church perhaps need to get back to the basics of our belief. That which draws us together, that which we hold in common. A belief that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Lord. And on that foundation, can we not work for a way to see the world? in need of transformation, but only transformed by Jesus Christ, working in and through us and in ways beyond our imagining. Amen.